Chapter 8 of Dot and the Kangaroo. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Dot and the Kangaroo by Ethel C. Pedley. Chapter 8. It was fortunate that the kangaroo could not think of all that might befall them, or she never could have had the courage for the wonderful feats of jumping she performed. Poor little Dot, whose busy brain pictured all kinds of terrible fates, was so overcome with fear that she seemed hardly to know what had happened, and the more she thought, the more terrified she became. The kangaroo did not attempt to continue the upward ascent, but followed a slope of the rugged hill, leaping from rock to rock. This was better than trying to escape where the trees and shrubs would have prevented her making those astonishing bounds. But the clouds had left the moon clear for a while, so that the blackfellows and the dogs easily followed every movement as they pursued the hunt on a smoother level below. The blacks were trying to hurry on, so as to cut off the kangaroo's retreat at a spur of the hill, where, to get away, she would have to leave the rocks and descend towards them. In the meantime, Dot's ears were filled with the sounds of snarling snaps from the dingo dogs, and hideous noises from the blacks, encouraging the animals to attack the kangaroo. But what pained her most were the gasps and little moans of her good friend, as she put such tremendous power into every leap she made for their lives, crashing through twigs and scattering stones and pebbles in the wild speed of their flight. Then Dot's busy little brain told her another thing, which made her more miserable. It was becoming quite clear that the poor kangaroo was getting rapidly exhausted, owing to her having to bear Dot's weight. Her panting became more and more distressing, and so did her sad moans, and flecks of foam from her straining lips fell on Dot's face and hands. Dot knew that her kangaroo was trying to save her at the risk of her own life. Without the little girl in her pouch, she might get away safely. But, with her to carry, they would both probably fall victims to the fierce blacks and their dogs. Kangaroo, kangaroo, she cried. Put me down, drop Dot anywhere, anywhere, but don't get killed yourself. But all Dot heard was a little hissing sound from the brave animal which sounded like, Never again! You will be killed! moaned Dot. Together! said the little hissing voice, as another great bound brought them to the spur of the hill, and then the kangaroo had to pause. In that moment Dot seemed to hear and see everything. They were perched on a rock, and the moonlight lit all their surroundings like day. To the right was a deep black chasm, with a white foaming waterfall pouring into the darkness below. In front was the same wide chasm, only less wide, and beyond it, on the other side of the great yawning cleft in the earth, was a wild spread of morass country, a gloomy, terrible-looking place. To the left was a steep slope of small rocks and stones, leading downwards to the hollow of sedgy land that fringed the cliffs of the chasm. The only retreat possible was to pass down this declivity, and try to escape by the sedgy land, and this is what the black huntsman had expected. It was a very weird and desolate place, and everything looked dark and dismal under the moonlight as it streamed between stormy black clouds. In that light Dot could see the blacks hurrying forward. Already one of the dogs had far outrun the others, and with wolfish gait and savage sounds was pressing towards their place of observation. The panting, trembling kangaroo saw the approaching dog also, and leapt down from the crag. As she dropped to earth, she stooped and quickly lifted Dot out of her pouch, 
and almost before Dot could realize the movement, she found herself standing alone, whilst the kangaroo hopped forward to the front of a big boulder, as if to meet the dog. Here the poor hunted creature took her stand, with her back close to the rock. Gentle and timid as she was, and unfitted by nature to fight for her life against fierce odds, it was brave indeed of the poor kangaroo to face her enemies, prepared to do battle for the lives of little Dot and herself. So noble did Dot's kangaroo look in that desperate moment, standing erect waiting for her foe, and conquering her naturally frightened nature by a grand effort of courage, that it seemed impossible that either dogs or men should be so cruel as to take her life. For a moment the dingo hound seemed daunted by her bravery, and paused a little way off, panting, with its great tongue lolling out of its mouth. Dot could see its sharp, wicked teeth gleaming in the moonlight. For a few seconds it hesitated to make the attack, and looked back down the slope to see if the other dogs were coming to help. But they were only just beginning the ascent, and the shouting blackfellows were further off still. Then the dog could no longer control its savage nature. It longed to leap at the poor kangaroo's throat, that pretty furry throat that Dot's arms had so often encircled lovingly, and it was impatient to fix its terrible teeth there, and hold and hold in a wild struggle until the poor kangaroo should gradually weaken from fear and exhaustion, and be choked to death. These thoughts filled the dog with a wicked joy. It wouldn't wait any longer for the other dingo hounds. It wanted to murder the kangaroo all by itself. So, with a toss of its head and a terrible snarl, it sprang forward ferociously with open jaws, aiming at the victim's throat. Dot clasped her cold hands together. Tears streamed down her cheeks, and her little voice, choking with sobs, could only wail, Oh, dear kangaroo, my dear kangaroo, don't kill my dear kangaroo. And she ran forward to throw herself upon the dog and try to save her friend. But before the terrified little girl could reach the big rock, the dog had made its spring upon her friend. The brave kangaroo, instead of trying to avoid her fierce enemy, opened her little arms and stood erect and tall to receive the attack. The dog, in its eagerness, and owing to the nature of the ground, misjudged the distance it had to spring. It failed to reach the throat it had aimed at, and in a moment the kangaroo had seized the hound in a tight embrace. There was a momentary struggle, the dog snapping and trying to free itself, and the kangaroo holding it firmly. Then she used the only weapon she had to defend herself from dogs and men, the long, sharp claw in her foot. While she held the dog in her arms, she raised her powerful leg, and with that long, strong claw, tore open the dog's body. The dog yelped in pain as the kangaroo threw it to the ground, where it lay rolling in agony and dying, for the kangaroo had given it a terrible wound. The other dogs were still some distance below, and the cries of their companion caused them to pause in fear and wonder, while the black men could be seen advancing in the dim light, flourishing their spears and boomerangs. It was quite impossible to retreat that way, and where Dot and her kangaroo were, they were hemmed in by a rocky cliff and the deep black chasm. The kangaroo saw at a glance where lay their only chance of life. She picked up Dot, placed her in her pouch, and without a word, leapt forwards towards that fearful gulf of darkness and foaming waters. As they neared the spot, Dot saw that the hunted animal was going to try and leap across to the other side. It seemed impossible that with one bound she could span that terrible place and reach the sedged morass beyond, and still more impossible that it should be done by the poor animal with heavy dot in her pouch. 
Again, Dot cried, Oh, darling kangaroo, leave me here and save yourself. You can never, never do it, carrying me. All she heard was something like, Try, or we'll die. She could not make out what the kangaroo said, for the crashing of the waterfall, the whistling of the wind, and the scattering of stones as they dashed forward made such a storm of noises in her ears. She could see when they reached the grassy fringe of the precipice, where the kangaroo was able to quicken her pace, and literally seemed to fly to their fate. Then came the last bound before the great spring. Dot held her breath, and a feeling of sickness came over her. Her head seemed giddy, and she could not see, but she clasped her hands together and said, God help my kangaroo. And then she felt the fearful leap and rushed through the air. Yes! They had just reached the other side. No! They had not quite. What was the matter? What a struggle! Stones falling, twigs and grasses wrenching, the courageous kangaroo fighting for a foothold on the very brink of the precipice. What a terrible moment! Every second Dot felt sure they would fall backwards and drop deep into the gully below, to be dashed to pieces on the rocks and the treetops. But God did help Dot's kangaroo. The little reeds and rushes held tightly in the earth, and the poor struggling animal, exerting all her remaining strength, gained the reedy slope safely. She staggered forward a few reeling hops, and then fell to the earth like a dead creature. In an instant, Dot was out of the pouch and had her arm round the poor animal's neck, crying as she saw blood and foam oozing from her mouth, and a strange dim look in her sad eyes. Don't die, dear kangaroo, oh please don't die, cried Dot, wringing her hands and burying her face in the fur of the poor gasping creature. Dot, panted the kangaroo, make a noise, cry loud, not safe yet. The little girl didn't understand why the kangaroo wanted her to make a noise, and she had, in her fear and sorrow, quite forgotten their pursuers. But now she turned and could hear the blacks urging on their dogs as they were making an attempt to skirt round the precipice, and gain the other side of the chasm. So Dot did as she was told, and screamed and cried like the most naughty of children, and the gasping kangaroo told her to go on doing so. Then what seemed to Dot a very terrifying thing happened for she soon heard other cries mingled with hers. From the desolate morass and from the gully in darkness below came the sound of a bellowing. She stopped crying and listened, and could hear those awesome voices all around, and the echoes made them still more hobgoblinish. The kangaroo's eyes brightened, and she restrained her panting and listened also. Go on, she said. We're safe now. So Dot made more crying, and her noises and the others would have frightened anyone who had heard them in that lonely place, with the wind storming in the trees, and the black clouds flying over the moon. It frightened the black fellows directly. They stopped in their headlong speed, shouting together in their shrill voices, The bunyip! The bunyip! And they tumbled over one another in their hurry to get away from a place haunted, as they thought, by that wicked demon which they fear so much. At full speed they fled back to their camp, with the sound of Dot's cries and the mysterious bellowing noise following them on the breeze, and they never stopped running until they regained the light of their campfires. There they told the djinns, in awestruck voices, how it had been no kangaroo they had hunted but the bunyip, who had pretended to be one, 
and the black jinn's eyes grew wider and wider, and they made strange noises and exclamations as they listened to the story of how the bunyip had led the huntsman to that dreadful place, how it had torn one of the dogs to pieces, and had leaped over the precipice into Dead Man's Gully, where it had cried like a pickaninny, and bellowed like a bull. No one slept in the camp that night, and early next morning the whole tribe went away, being afraid to remain so near the haunt of the dreaded bunyip. Dot saw the flight of the blacks in the dim distance, and told the good news to the kangaroo, who, however, was too exhausted to rejoice at their escape. She still lay where she had fallen, gasping and with her tongue hanging down from her mouth like that of a dog. In vain Dot caressed her, and called her by endearing names. She lay quite still as if unable to hear or feel. Dot's little heart swelled within her, and taking the poor animal's drooping head on her lap, she sat quite still and tearless, waiting in that solitude for her one friend to die, leaving her lonely and helpless. Presently, she was startled by hearing a brisk voice. Then it was a human piccaninny, after all. Well, my dear, what are you doing here? Dot turned her head without moving, and saw a little way behind her a brown bird on long legs, standing with its feet close together, with the self-satisfied air of a dancing master about to begin a lesson. Dot did not care for any other creature in the bush just then but her kangaroo, and the perky air of the bird annoyed her in her sorrow. Without answering, she bent her head closer, down to that of her poor friend, to see if her eyes were still shut and wondered if they would ever open and look bright and gentle again. The little brown bird strutted with an important air to where it had a better view of Dot and her companion, and eyed them both in the same perky manner. Friend kangaroo's in a bad way, it said. Why don't you do something sensible instead of messing about with its head? What can I do? whimpered Dot. Give it water and damp its skin, of course said the little bird contemptuously. "'What fools humans are!' exclaimed to itself. "'And I suppose you will tell me there is no water here when all the time you are sitting on a spring.' "'But I'm sitting on grass,' said Dot, now fully attentive to the bird's remarks. "'Well, booby,' sneered the bird, "'and under the grass is wet moss which, if you make a hole in it, will fill with water. Why, I'd do it myself.' in a moment only your claws are better suited for the purpose than mine set about it at once it said sharply in an instant dot did what the bird directed and thrust her little hands into the soft grass roots and moss out of which water pressed as if from a sponge she had soon made a little hole and the most beautiful clear water welled up into it at once then in the hollows of her little hands she collected it and dashed it over the kangaroo's parched tongue, and further instructed by the kindly, though rude little bird, she had soon well wetted the suffering animal's fur. Gradually the breathing of the kangaroo became less of an effort, her tongue moistened and returned to the mouth, and at last Dot saw with joy the brown eyes open, and she knew that her good friend was not going to die, but would get well again. Whilst all this took place, the little brown bird stood on one leg, with its head cocked on one side, watching the exhausted kangaroo's recovery with a comic expression of curiosity and conceit. When it spoke to Dot, it did so without any attempt at being polite, and Dot thought it the strangest possible creature. 
because it was really very kind in helping her to save the kangaroo's life, and yet it seemed to delight in spoiling its kind-heartedness by its rudeness. Afterwards the kangaroo told her that the little bittern is a really tender-hearted fellow, but he has an idea that kindness in rather small creatures provokes the contempt of the big ones. As he always wants to be thought a bigger bird than he is, he pretends to be hard-hearted by being rough. Consequently, nearly all the bush creatures simply regard him as a rude little bird, because bad manners are no proof of being grown up, rather the contrary. How do you feel now? asked the bittern, as the kangaroo presently struggled up and squatted rather feebly on her haunches, looking about in a somewhat dazed way. I'm better now, said the kangaroo. But dear me, how everything seems to dance up and down. She shut her eyes, for she felt giddy. That was rather of a good jump of yours, said the bittern patronizingly, as if jumps for life like that of Dot's kangaroo were made every day, and he was a judge of them. Ah, I remember, said the kangaroo, opening her eyes again and looking round. Where is Dot? Humph! That's silly, exclaimed the bittern as Dot came forward and she and the kangaroo rejoiced over each other's safety. Much good she'd have been to you with the blacks and their dogs, after you if we bitterns hadn't played the old trick of ours, scaring them with our big voices. He, 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 it chuckled. How they did run when we tuned up. They thought the bunyip had got them this time. Didn't we laugh? It was very good of you, said the kangaroo gratefully. And it is not the first time you have saved kangaroos by your cleverness. I didn't know you bitterns were near, so I told Dot to make a noise in the hope of frightening them. The bittern was really touched by the kangaroo's gratitude, and was delighted at being called clever, so it became still more ungracious. You needn't trouble me with thanks, it said indifferently. We didn't do it to save you, but for our own fun. As for that little stupid, it continued with a nod of the head towards Dot, her squeals were no more good than the squeak of a tree frog in a bittern's beak. But you were very kind, said Dot, and show me how to get water to save kangaroo's life. The bittern was greatly pleased at this praise, and in consequence it got still ruder, and making a face at Dot exclaimed, Yah! and stalked off. But when it had gone a few steps, it turned round and said to the kangaroo roughly, If you hop that way, keeping to the side of that sedges, and go half a dozen small hops beyond that white gum tree, you'll find a little cave. It's dry and warm, and good enough for kangaroos. And without waiting for thanks for this last kind act, it spread its wings and flew away. End of chapter 8 Recording by Graham, Theodore, Winona and Ebony Jolliffe, Australia.